The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, it's nearly Christmas and we are in a really, really unusual time. But Christmas is a great reset. I know for a lot of us, uh, this Christmas period, particularly here in Australia, it's a time to get off work. And we, we take a break and we refresh, we get breaks from study, and it's a time that we use to, to reset and refresh just in the physical nature of having summertime, right? How many people here are looking forward to going to the beach in the coming weeks? Yeah, a whole lot of hands. Okay, we're going to be going to the beach, we're going to be going to the pools, we're going to be doing things. And essentially what we're going to be trying to do is reset our lives for another year. Um, how many of you put up a little meme at the end of last year around the fact that you were so glad that 2020 was over? How many put up a little social media page? There's a few of you, okay? Uh, if we can get this up on the screen. Um, there's some really, really good memes that have gone around over the past 12 months around uh, last year. Uh, my favorite one being that Leonardo DiCaprio one. Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, there's this sense in which at the end of last year, uh, we were like, we cannot wait for the year to be over. But this year is different, is it not? I think we're feeling different this year. Because I think we're, we're realizing that COVID won't go away. At the end of last year, we were hopeful, okay, it's done, it's going to be over, and now we've done a whole another year. Actually, this past week uh, is two years to the date that the first ever, uh, you know, moment of COVID arise. It's been two years that this thing has been around and it's still with us. And now going into next year, we know it's still going to be there. So we're already weary, but we're also very anxious. We're already tired from the year of just what we do with work, what we do with study, what we do with family. Um, But we're also, we're anxious because we don't know what's coming. And we're, we're anxious about the next year and what will happen in our world. And I want to encourage you today. The most important thing about you is what you think of God. Martin Luther said that. He said the most important thing about a person is actually what they think about God. And for Christians, we have knowledge, truth about God, which should fuel us with hope and peace and joy come this Christmas. And so we're looking at this series from Isaiah 9, and the verse says this about who our God is. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called. And this is kind of what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. Week one, we looked at he is wonderful counselor. Last week, Shane looked at the fact that he is mighty God. Next week, we're going to look at the fact that he is the Prince of Peace, but today we're going to look at that he is our everlasting Father. And I believe that this is not just something that we uh, just put on repeat and it's like, oh, we're just going to do the next Advent series. I believe that God specifically wants to encourage us this year. I believe God wants to encourage you today. For those of you that are Christians, God wants you to know him as your everlasting Father. For those of you that are in the room and you're not Christian, this is who you can know God as, is our everlasting Father. What does it mean that He is everlasting? Well, 
this term here is actually, it's a term of royalty. It's this picture of kingship, that he is perpetually and continually and always and forever sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning all of the time, that he is the God of creation, the one who has no beginning and has no end, the one who made time and lives outside of time, will come and enter into time as the infant. So at the beginning of this passage, it started in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is pointing out that this child who is coming is the king of the universe and he's going to save the nations. And then after this particular verse, verse 6, verse 7 says, And of the increase his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Church, Christian, God is on the throne. He has always been on the throne. He will always be on the throne. You cannot knock him off the throne. Jesus is ruling. Jesus is reigning. This is the story of Christmas, that your God is the king of the world, not Leonardo DiCaprio. God is the king. Eternal doesn't just mean forever, it also means unchanging. There's a whole lot of parents in the room. There's a whole lot of leaders in the room. There are people here who you you lead in managerial positions, you lead at certain places in your workplace, in the university space. You lead depending on how you are in the moment. You lead based on your own character and nature. And sometimes you're going well and you lead well. And sometimes you are not going well and you don't lead well. As a parent, I have days where I parent really well, super patient, super kind. And other days I'm, I'm parenting out of frustration or I'm tired, I'm weary. We have a king who is never tired. He never has an off day. He never leads out of emotional state which is weary and frustrated. He is the unchanging one who is always forever leading in goodness, in kindness, in justice, in righteousness. And this is good news for us because our king is not being swayed by our moment. You and I, we are swayed. We feel the weight. We, we feel the things that are going on in our world and it causes change. Not so with our king. That is good news. And then it tells us that he is our father. Few words evoke the kinds of feelings we have when we hear the word father. That parental child relationship, it's so powerful, it's so forming, is it not? Many of the things that I now do as an adult is in response to the way I was brought up, based on my home, based on my family, based on my father. And many of us in the room, uh, we actually struggle with the concept of God as father, and because of our physical, uh, earthly relationship to our earthly parents, we sometimes can struggle with understanding God as our father. Or we project onto him the things that we have experienced in this life as though that would be true of him. 
So for example, for me, uh, my father was a, a worker in oil and gas pipelining, which meant he was away a lot of my life. And so one of the things that I have uh, felt as a, as a young man growing up was not that my father didn't love me, but just that he was absent. And he was absent because he was putting food on the table and providing for us, but in his occupation, it meant that he was away 16 weeks at a time, 32 weeks at a time when he was in Pakistan. It's like nine, 10 months at a time. And so in my walk with the Lord and my journey of faith, I have sometimes not believed that God is present with me all of the time. But the truth is that this is our Father. Have any of you seen the movie Fences with Denzel Washington? I recommend you go watch it. It's a story of a man, his name's Troy, he had an abusive father. And he grows up in Pittsburgh in the 1950s, and he himself is a broken man because of his parental relationship, and now he has a child who he is trying to raise, and he's putting food over the roof, putting food on the table, not food on the roof. Uh, maybe he was doing a, I don't know, a weird sander thing that they do in Pittsburgh that you all don't know about, but I knew, so I'm super smart, okay? He was putting food on the table and a roof over <laughs> uh, the child's head, and there's this one really, really powerful scene where he's talking with his son about some stuff. His son wants to get a TV that's cost $200. And the dad, in his, in his attempt to show his son that he loves him, basically tells his son that he, he puts a roof over his head, not because he loves him, but because he has to. And there's this moment where he, the guy says to his dad, he's like, why don't, you, why don't you like me? And then Denzel Washington, his character, kind of says, well, what law is there that I have to like you? Do you think I put a roof over your head or food on the roof, <laughs> uh, food on the table because I like you? It's like that, that's my responsibility is to do that. And it's this, this brokenness of this man who's trying to show his, his son that he loved him, but he doesn't know how to say it. And the only way he can tell his son that he loves him is to say, you're my responsibility and I will look after you. So we're not going to go buy it. $200 TV, we're going to make sure that this roof doesn't leak for the rest of your life. But deep down inside, what the son wants is just a nearness of his father. It's like, I don't care about the roof. I don't care about the food. I want my dad's heart. And he doesn't know how to bring it. Or if you see movies like Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey, where he basically has to go through and do this you know, great thing where they've got to find another planet uh, to try and find life or something that they could go and inhabit because the earth is uh, at risk of being wiped out. And so to make that decision to go away and do this great journey, he has to leave, particularly in the story, it's his daughter, he has to leave his daughter behind and know that he will go into this sort of vortex of timelessness while his daughter will grow up. And if you've ever seen the movie, you see the great scene where he watches all the decades after decades of watching all the videos that come through and Matthew McConaughey just bawls his eyes out. And there's a sense of this, this angst between the father and the daughter because he has chosen to leave her again. The reason that these movies are so powerful because this is what we feel. We come from broken homes. All of us. Many of us thought our homes were great, and so we kind of grew up and had our own kids, and then we were reflected on our upbringing, and we're like, oh, wow, my parents actually weren't as good as what I thought they were, and that actually crushes us. 
I had a friend whose parents got divorced and we used to call them the Brady Bunch because they had the perfect family. It looked like they were perfect and he found out as a 19, 20-year-old boy that basically his parents had been faking it their whole lives as they grew up just so that when they grew up, they could then leave and they'd be okay. Still to this day, it's been 20 years, still to this day, my friend is haunted by that moment that he found out that his mum and dad never actually loved each other. So God comes to us in this story and says, I am your everlasting father. That's what I'm going to be for you. This is powerful truth news that we need to hear. And I just want to give you three things this morning that I think that this particular thing can do for us and encourage us this Christmas. The first thing that this idea of God being our everlasting Father does for us is it tells us that He will rule over us forever. Now, our initial reaction to God ruling over us is not one of like, oh, good. We love being ruled over. We love having leaders who are above us who make great decisions on our behalf without ever consulting us. This is what we love. Do we not? We, we live in a time and in an age where we have the most distrust ever in our leaders because our leaders continually fail us. We live in a Western context where the worldview tells us that for you to be your true self, your ultimate self, you shouldn't have anyone rule over you except for you. And the Bible says, no, listen, listen, God's rule and reign is a good thing for you. He wants to rule over you. And because he is by nature everlasting and is everlastingly good, his rule and reign is always good. Always no matter what we are going through. Think about how we currently feel, but then think about how Jewish people feel. The, the people of Judah that are getting this, this prophecy right now, their whole history, they have been ruled not just by poor kings themselves, but by other nations. Babylonians have ruled them. Egyptians have ruled them. Assyrians have ruled them. Greco-Roman and the Romans have ruled them. Their whole history is there's always somebody else ruling us and they don't look after us. And so all throughout the Bible, there is this constant yearning, this constant angst of when will we get a good king? And this prophecy comes, he is coming and he will rule forever. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture that he will rule over us Luke 1, 31 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. For those of us who have been Christians for a while, we, we know Isaiah 7, 14, which talks about the fact that there will be this son who will come, uh, this woman who will conceive and bear a son. She'll be this virgin. And we know 7.14, that this virgin will conceive, she'll bear a son, but we don't know 7.15. And I think if you, if you read 7.14 without reading 7.15, you miss it. Because it tells us the type of son and the type of rule he'll have because he will choose no evil and will do only good. The reason you and I don't want anybody to rule over us is because we've never had anyone who ruled over us do a good job of it. 
so we don't trust anybody or anything. The Bible says, trust your good king. Why can you trust him? Well, do you know in human history, there's been a lot of babies that have become kings? Been a number of them. There's only ever been one king who became a baby. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the everlasting king who hopped off his throne and entered into human history and became vulnerable and became a child. There is only one who was ever always a king who became a baby. Many have been babies that become kings. There's been one who was a king who became a child and his name is Jesus. And he was king before we had problems, pressures and pain and suffering. He is king now while we experience those things and he will be king tomorrow. In other words, he was ruling and reigning over all of this before it happened and now he is ruling and reigning over it now and he will rule and reign over it then. And all he is doing in this world is calling us to trust him in amongst the sinking sand. Jesus, this infant, will be your eternal king. And he will rule and reign over us in goodness. Number two is that he will love and care for us forever. This idea of a loving, uh, everlasting father indicates that Jesus will care for his people forever as a father cares for his children. It's a picture of benevolent protection and provision. When you read this book, there are like some really astounding moments. Like if you read Galatians 4, incredible chapter. Galatians 4 basically says that God doesn't want to see you and I as slaves, as just these servants of his kingdom, but rather he wants to see us as his children. That, in our mind, we kind of get it a little bit. In a first century Jewish person's mind, the fact that the king of the universe, this king who rules and reigns over all kingdoms, wants to treat all the people in his kingdom as his children is mind-blowing. We, we, we kind of just let it gloss over us that God wants to be our Father and He wants us to be His children. What does it mean that we are His children? It means He loves us. It is rare to find a parent that doesn't love their children. This past week, my young five-year-old entered into like a dance production thing which cost me $14 million. That's a different story. That's how much I love you, my dear. With the thousand outfits and the four hours of production of which she's on stage for 24 seconds and you've got to wait. And like, if you were to step back and just watch this thing, you're just like, that was, that was horrible. Everybody's out of timing. We've got some kids going this direction, some kids going this direction, got a few over here and they bang into each other. And every single parent in the room is like, Watch out! I'm posting everything all over, you know, I got in trouble for videoing during the thing. Excuse me, sir, you're not allowed to video. Screw you, video, video, video. This is my child. This is my five child. It cost me $14 million. I will video her. Parents love their kids. I think about how much I love my kids. I will do anything for my children. And I'm a broken man. 
I'm a frail man. I'm a temporal man. This is the eternal father. How much more so does our eternal father love, love you, his children? He loves you. He cares for you. You are on God's mind this Christmas. Does that blow your mind? My kids once asked me, how can God be thinking about everybody simultaneously at the same time? How can he be present for all people? And I say, that's because he's God. I can give certain time to this child and certain time, excuse me, I'm talking to this one, right? This is all we can do. Particularly, I'm just like, I, I can't, shh. God, God can speak to all of us and he is attentive to every single one of our needs because that is our eternal father. It's not just that he can, it's that he, he wants to. Isaiah uh, speaks of God's eternality more than any other book in the entire Old Testament. He's constantly speaking about it. But he also constantly speaks about God being our Father. 63.16 says, For you are our Father, Through Abraham, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer. Spurgeon, in his sermon on this particular passage, he has this incredible line. He says, There is no unfathering Christ, and there is no unchilding us. See, this Christmas, some of us uh, are going to be wounded because we've lost relationships of people that won't be at our table this year. We've lost parents, we've lost children, we've lost friends. There's a sense in which, as human beings, we, we can lose each other. But in a God sense, you can never lose him and he can never lose you because he is eternal. This is why it is good news. He is not just our father, he's our eternal father. So if he loved you, he can't unlove you. The Bible tells us, this is really, really important, the Bible tells us, not just before we were born, but before time, he chose to set his love on us. Before time, in time he sets his love on us, and when we get to eternity, he is going to love us. Because his love for us is based on him and not you, it can't waver. It can't change. He will love you forever. That's good news. Because there are many days where I probably don't feel like he should love me. Do you have those days? I'm, I'm sorry, all you amazing people out there. Okay, it's just us pastors up here who struggle and have weaknesses. Okay, I'm sorry. Don't we have these days where like, man, surely he's got to give up me. Surely he's got to quit on me. No, God will not because he is the eternal father. So I love in Romans 8, 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes on in 37, No, in all these we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. Do you get what he's saying? He's trying to come up with every single scenario, any sort of loophole that someone could find to say that God might not love him, and he's covered them all. No one will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the baby came, and because that baby goes to a cross, dies, and resurrects again, we now are in him, and we are loved by God eternally because of him. You read Matthew 6, Jesus 
He's talking to anxious people. And he wants to encourage them how to not be anxious. Three times he says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. What he does is he goes, just look outside, and I know we can't really do that here, but just look outside and look at the sparrows. Do you see them? Just look at the birds. I encourage you, do that this week. Stop, pause, and just watch some birds for a while. And just watch them. And then go, God loves me more than that bird. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, but doesn't God love you? Aren't you of more value than they? He then says, look at the, the flowers, essentially. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at them. Does God not love you more than they? That's why we sing in our holy night that he knows our need. To our weakness, no stranger. And then it says, behold your king. See, you and I don't worship God. We don't sing these songs just because God is king. It's because he's a good father king. And he stoops to us. He condescends to us. He comes to us in the form of a child to bring us back and behold your king. Before him lowly bend. Behold your king. Your king before him bend. Why? Because he knows our need and to our weakness he is no stranger. And then lastly, third, he rejoices over you forever. Last week Shane quoted this, this passage and I just want to quote it again. Verse 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. And Shane focused on this fact that he's a mighty one who will save. Look at this next part. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Parents, when we're trying to put our kids to sleep and give them peace at night, what do we do? We, we put on little white noise maybe in the background. We, we might sing over them quietly. What you don't do when you're trying to give your child peace and kind of rest and get them to sleep, you don't sing loudly. So when do you sing loudly? When they come onto stage at a big glorious dance rehearsal, dance performance, that's when you sing loudly. When it's their birthday, that's when you sing loudly. When they get that academic award, that's when you sing loudly. When they score that goal, that's when you... My son's leaving. He knows I must be talking about him. When he scores that goal, that's when we sing loudly. (laughs) This is a picture of victory. This is not a picture of just Jesus coming and giving us peace, which we're going to look at next week. This is the picture of Jesus saying, hey, you win. I'm celebrating you. I'm rejoicing you. I'm singing over you. I'm glad for you. It goes on to say, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make, uh, I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. As the band come up, church, Don't forget the end of the story. 
We're kind of in the middle of the story. Jesus is coming back. He's coming into the world, right? He's coming. He's coming, but he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he will right every single wrong. He will restore you and I, and we will be singing on the rooftops. We will be shouting the praises of our great, eternal, everlasting Father King. Because guess what? He wins, we win. No matter what we are going through right now, we must remember the end of the story. Don't let the enemy take that away from you. Remember the end of the story. You and I win because our king, who is our father, has won. And he is rejoicing and he is clapping and he is going to welcome us home. When, when, when you see that picture of he says, well done, good and faithful servant, we just see it as like, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Tick, next one in. It's like, no, no, he, he is going to be rejoicing over you and me. Right now, as you are filled with anxiety about the world in which we inhabit, remember the end. Remember the victory. And the Bible, in many ways, says reverse engineer your life and start living from that place of you win. Not because you and I are great, but because our King, who is our Father, is great. And so the, the Bible has these, these weird sort of nuances where there's, there's grief and sorrow, and yet those people shine and sing and rejoice. There, there is suffering. There is hardship. Oh, but there is singing and rejoicing of a people who know the end and live knowing, trusting, rejoicing that the child who is born is our everlasting Father and will treat us as such. Amen? Now we're going to sing. We're going to sing to this Father King, this eternal King, and I want you to sing. I'm going to encourage you to sing loudly. in your personality, in your style, whatever. But let us from our, the depths of our heart, let us come to our King and rejoice in who He is this Christmas. But before we do that, I want to pray again for us. Many of us are weary and tired. And I want to pray for you that even in this moment, as you sing and lift your eyes and turn them towards Jesus, that he will fill you and refresh you. Some of us are anxious. We don't know what comes after December, December 17. We're not sure what that means for us now. We want to pray for you. That as you sing this morning to your great Father, everlasting King, as you turn your eyes towards Jesus, you be reminded that he holds you in the palm of his hands and he will never let you go. He is not going to forsake you. He is not going to leave you. He will be present with you. Some of us are wounded. We're not looking forward to Christmas with family because of the angst that's in our family or because of people that are no longer going to be sitting at our table this year.
I want to pray that as you sing, the Spirit of God would minister peace into your heart about what is coming up in the next couple of weeks for you. Amen? And then from there, we're going to take communion and we're going to sing to our Father King, our eternal Father. And we're going to lift up His name. We're going to turn our eyes towards Jesus and we're going to sing to Him. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. And I'm going to pray for all different people this morning. And if you're in any of those categories um, and you just would like particular prayer this morning, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to ask just if you would just shoot your hand up while I'm praying. And if, if a few of us could just occasionally look around, if someone has their hand up and they really want prayer today, would a few of us that are around them just lay our hands on them and just pray for them so that our brothers and sisters can know it's not just their father who is eternal that's with them, but it's also his children, his church family, that we're in this together. So if that's particularly for you, just as we're praying, just lift up your hand. A few people around you will just lay their hands on you. And church, I'm going to ask that you would just join me and pray, that we'd give God a bit of time right now to do what God does. Amen? So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.